Hey, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? That's it? That's all I got? That's all I get from you today? All right, good. That's better. That's better. Uh, we are in a series looking at the parables or the stories of Jesus. And as we've discovered over the last couple of weeks, we know that uh, over a third of Jesus' teachings were in the form of parables. So we wanted to go through those and understand what Jesus tells us and teaches us about the kingdom of God, what it means to be in the kingdom of God, and how do we act in the kingdom of God? How do we act in the kingdom of God? How do we behave ourselves in the kingdom of God? And we're going to look at a parable today that Jesus talks about humility. Has there ever been a time in your life where you were humbled? You got a little bit too big for yourselves and something happened to humble you? I, you know, I watch college football and NFL, and, and there's a lot of uh, illustrations I could use of humility with different players. You know, these, these guys, you know, college players, you know, if you're in D1, you get to this elite level, or the NFL, you get to this elite level, and you get all hyped for the games. I remember watching one college game where this poor wide receiver, he was a second stringer, he had to come to the game, the, 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 the first line, the, the first receiver was hurt, uh, the first stringer was hurt, so he had to come in, and this cornerback just was owning him, and just, just getting in his face, and you could see it, and at one point, he goes, I, you could see it, there's somebody who's showing, he goes, I own you, blah, 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 very next play quarterback goes 30 yards hits the receiver the receiver catches it over the back of the cornerback and gets a touchdown the great thing was looking at the cornerback's face because he was like what just happened you just got humbled you didn't get mossed you got humbled they didn't have a segment on ESPN you got humbled right or have you ever seen this where um, this happened a couple times where either someone gets an interception and they're running back and there's no one near them and they're celebrating, they're high-stepping, and they don't get all the way into the end zone, and they drop the ball before they get into the end zone, and all of a sudden they realize they actually fumbled the ball and not got a touchdown. That's kind of a humbling moment. Well, I had an experience like that in 1976, Seneca Elementary School. Uh, it was the championship kickball tournament. It was a championship, and we'd, have, we'd go at it all spring before school ended, and we had this huge kickball tournament. I, I was team captain of, our, of, the, of, of one side, and we had this other side, and we were going back and forth, back and forth. Well, it was finally the kickball turn. We do this during recess. And um, this is for the championship game, 1976, Seneca Elementary School, Arundaquate, New York. Some of you may have heard of it. Have you heard of it? I, some of you may have heard of it. It's famous. And so we had, we had the sports coverage going on. ESPN was there. It was, it was amazing. So I'm up. I'm the last one up. Somebody's at first base and second base. All I have to do is just kick the ball in the outfield, and, and we're going to run the, guy, run the person on. It was, we had boys and girls on both sides. Just run that person in to home, you know, to, to home plate and win the game. So I'm like, kids were like on their team like, oh, great, Barden's up, you know. He, it's so easy. They're gonna, we're going to lose. We're going to lose. And I'm like, we're going to win. And I was like, I was just excited, this epic kickball game. I go, all I have to do is just kick it. I can do this, right? So I'm, I'm just like, we're going to win, we're going to win. So I get up there, and I want to cream it. So what I did is I, I ran up to the ball, they roll it. I kicked it so hard, and I lifted my leg so high up, I split my pants. <laughs> the ball went 100 feet in the air, right? And I, I, know I froze, and all the kids were laughing. So what I did was instead of running to first base, I ran to the nurse's office. I was so embarrassed, just wide open, split pants. I go in the nurse's office. She goes, Barton, what happened? Why did you split your pants? I go, in the kickball game, needless to say, we didn't win. It was just a horrible thing and therapy over it. No, I mean, just a horrible thing. So, so I, I couldn't get new pants. So the, the nurse 
uh, taped my pants up. So I'm walking around the rest of the day, because this is recess, half, you know, half the day. So I'm, I'm walking with tape. So anytime I feel like I get too full of myself, I'm reminded of 1976, Seneca School, and the Lord says, never forget your taped ripped pants, Barton. Don't be too big for your britches, right? We've all been humbled in different ways, haven't we? And, and here Jesus says, listen, he's noticing something. He's noticing something with the religious people and those teachers of the law. He's noticing that, hey, they're, they're very strict in the way they want people to adhere to their laws or their religiosity, but he's not seeing a lot of humility. And so what Jesus does is he uses an opportunity to talk about humility. And so what Jesus does is he uses these parables to, to help us understand what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. I, I love Ephesians 2.4. This is kind of my life verse. I, I love this verse where Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in what? In love. Be completely humble. Not, not part of me, but everything I do should be saturated in humility. And so what we're doing is we're looking at these stories of Jesus. And, and really, a parable just literally means this. It's something cast alongside something else. So he uses an earthly story to compare it to a heavenly concept that he wanted us to understand. So I want to look at a story that Jesus shares on humility found in Luke chapter 14. And what Jesus does here is he, he uses his opportunity to teach the religious on what it means to be a true follower of God and what it truly means to walk in humility. And so he's at this dinner, this gathering where Pharisees are there and teachers of the law. Let me give you a little background. What happens is the Pharisees are trying to trick him. It's the Sabbath and you're trying to trick him. So there's, there's a man that comes into the scene that needs healing. Jesus asks this question, is it unlawful for, for a person to be healed on the Sabbath? And so he knows what they're trying to do. He knows he, that they're trying to trick him. And so he uses this opportunity to teach on humility. And he uses this parable of a wedding feast on when you go to a wedding feast, what are you to do? See, what happens is when you would go to a feast or a wedding feast or a banquet, the host would tell you where to sit. So if you got to sit on the left or right side of the host, that was the place of honor. Listen to what Jesus says you are supposed to do in the kingdom of God. So let's look at Luke 14, verses 7 through 11. It says, When he noticed how the guest picked a place of honor at the table, he told them this parable. So Jesus seen everybody trying to jockey for their position, get the best seat at the table, trying to sit as close to the host. Jesus then speaks up and says this parable. He says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you have to take the least important place. He says, but when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when the host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's heed what God tells us here in his word. So what Jesus does is the point of the story is he's talking about pride. How many of you know we all wrestle with pride? 
We're going to wrestle with pride the rest of our lives until we get to heaven, right? We wrestle with this. And so Jesus says, listen, this is the problem with those at this, at this banquet, at this dinner. They're wrestling with pride. They, they want to be seen. They want to be in the best place. And so what you would have is you would have these people, they'd be sitting around a table, they'd be lounged on the floor, and their heads would be faced towards the table. So their feet would be away, their heads would be towards the, towards the table, and they'd be very close together. And so what the host would do is he would pick those that are going to sit next to him and those that would try to jockey for position to get the best place of honor. And Jesus is telling them, don't pick that place. See, what Jesus speaks to is the preoccupation with wanting to impress others. So for those that are there, they want to impress others because if they got the place of honor, everybody else would be like, ooh, they got the place of honor. They're the ones that sit next to the host. So what does, why does Jesus want to walk in humility? What, what is the importance here? You see, what humility does is humility subdues pride. Humility subdues pride. I like what C.S. Lewis says here. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I like that. So, so let's understand the background here. So they're at a Pharisee's house. They're eating dinner. The Pharisees were these middle-class businessmen and synagogue leaders they believed in personal piety. They were conservative. They believed in high esteem, the law of God, which were all good things. They taught on morality, which were all good things. Yet Jesus exposed their religious heart. They were more in love with being in a certain position or more in love with their rules than they were people or God himself. So it wasn't that what they did was necessarily or what they believed was necessarily wrong. It was what they practiced. Their beliefs weren't lined up with their practice. Jesus was more concerned with their heart and how they were living these out in their daily living. How are you treating others? Are you more concerned with your position than you are people? That's Jesus' point. So Jesus showed them that they were more in love with their rules than actual people, more in love with their position than people. Listen to how Jesus exposes the motives of the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 1 through 4 and verse 6. This is what he says to them. This is what he says to his disciples and people that were listening. He says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, which is a, which is a position of authority. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. So because they're in that authority, you need to listen to them. But listen to what Jesus says about that. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They may know God's law, but they're not practicing it. So what do they do? They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads. They put themselves uh, on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Listen to what Jesus says. Here's how he exposes it. And this is the situation that Jesus is in at the dinner at this Pharisee's house. He says, they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. Now, do you think the Pharisees would like Jesus saying this? Absolutely not, because he exposed their true motives. So at the dinner of the Pharisee's house, Jesus tells them this parable of the wedding feast to speak to them on the motives of their heart. And what the story, this story, the parable of the wedding feast comes on the heels of Jesus healing a man at that dinner who has edema. 
And basically edema is just inflammation. It's the swelling of body parts. So, so this man is there. They bring him to kind of trap Jesus to see what Jesus is going to do. And then Jesus poses this question, is it, you know, is it wrong for, for, for someone to be healed on the Sabbath? Is it breaking God's law? So they're, they're trying to trick Jesus here. They don't really care about the person. They're more consumed with trying to trick Jesus and expose him and humiliate Jesus. So Jesus is at the dinner, and there is a man with this apparent physical condition. So Jesus poses the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? No one said a word. And then Jesus heals the man of his condition. You see, Jesus did nothing to break the law of God, but what he did was break their man-made rules and expose their hypocrisy. And Jesus then asks, how many of you would save your son if he fell into a well on the Sabbath? You are so restricted by your man-made laws that you don't even see it yourself. You're so enamored with yourself and making sure that you're doing everything to be a law keeper, the laws that you have created, that you don't see the hypocrisy within it. See, how many would save their sons? All of them would. So what they were doing is they were actually trying to trap Jesus. They wanted to catch him breaking the law of God, but their ploy backfired. They didn't really care about this man. So this is so what comes after this is Jesus speaking to them about the parable of the wedding and speaking about humility and taking the least place of honor. So Jesus uses this situation to share a story on humility. They weren't understanding that the law was important. It wasn't that the law was in, wasn't important or following God or morality wasn't important. That, that's not the point. The point is their heart. They were more enamored with their position than they were following God. So the question is, Jesus says this. He goes, what do you really care about? And Jesus says, let me give you a picture of what this would look like. Let me give you a picture of the heart of God. Let me give you a picture of, of what God cares about. And so what you would do is you have this long table, and people would sit around this table. It was like a U. And, and the, the, the one spot at the head of the table was reserved for the host, and then the host would have you sit there and he would choose you. And Jesus is saying, just don't automatically assume that you're the most important person. So you've got people coming in and they're sizing everybody up. They, oh, I'm more important than that guy. Oh, I'm more important than him. I've got a better seat. So I'm just going to mosey on up next to them. Hey, how you doing, man? Five, you know, high five, fist bump. Um, then you sit there and the host is saying, no, 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 whoa, 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 whoa big fella. Uh, somebody just came in. That's more important for you. Can you move and go sit at the other side, down at the other end? How humiliating would that be, Jesus says. So what you would do is the further you got down the table, the more unimportant you were until you got to the kids' table, right? (laughs) Until you got to the kids' table. So there was no seating chart. They did not have name tags. The host would choose where you sat. The nearer you were to the host, the greater the honor. So Jesus knew their hearts. They loved that place of honor, Jesus says. That was it. Here is what I want you to see. The reason why the table was set up for you is that so servants could come in the middle and serve people. And everybody that walked into that, that, that dinner would have their feet washed. By who? A servant. So what Jesus says is, instead of your aspiration being, hey, I want to be in that place of honor. I want to be that person that sits next to the host. Jesus says, no. The people that are most honored here are the ones that are serving. They're the ones you should look to. Take the least place. The the person that's least in this room are the ones that are actually serving. 
not the ones who are sitting next to the host. That's what he is exposing in this story. Instead of looking for the greatest place of honor, choose the least. I like what Charles Spurgeon says here. Every Christian has a choice between being humble and being humbled. Right? There's really no choice. There's no choice in the kingdom of God. There's a neat story I read about Benjamin Franklin. Brilliant man. Benjamin Franklin, right? Just brilliant. And he was just obsessed with wanting to just be moral and and become better and better at it. Where he came up with these um, 12 areas of attitude of moral perfection. So it's 27 years old. Benjamin Franklin is trying to come up with these 12 things of attitude areas in his life to have this moral perfection. So he had a good friend of him look over his 12 things of moral perfection, 12 areas of attitude that he could, he could improve on. He was just obsessed with this. So his friend looked it over, and, and Benjamin Franklin wrote about this in an autobiography, The Man, and this is what his friend said about him. He said, you know, hey, Ben, um, Benjamin Franklin said, this is my friend. He says, I just want to tell you that I'm going to kindly inform form you that you are generally thought of as proud. You are too proudful. That, that his pride showed itself frequently in their conversation. And his friend said this to them, humility must be added to the 13th virtue in your, in your project. So you got these 12, but you need to add humility. You're not walking. Now, is it wrong to want to do that, to be, to be a better person? There's nothing wrong with it. He became obsessed with this of trying to become perfect. That he says, in doing that, in doing that, listen, you became what? Prideful. We can do the same thing. In good ambitions, right? In good things of trying to become a better person, can't we become prideful in those motivations if we're not careful? Because that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They looked at their lives and how much better they were than everybody else and how much more they were following the law of God, but it became a prideful thing, not a, a thing of humility where it caused them to serve other people. So what are the characteristics of someone who walks in humility? Now, you can't just say you're a humble person, right? So I'm a humble person, right? You, you're not, if you say you're a humble person, you're not a humble person. So what are the characteristics? Well, the Word of God speaks to these characteristics of what it means to walk in humility. Someone who walks in, commi- in humility quickly turns and repents. This is so important for us to understand. Someone who walks in humility is one who is sensitive to the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Lord to repent and to turn from those things. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. See, repentance is this. It's not just feeling sorry, right? Especially if you got caught doing something that you know is wrong and someone caught you and then you're like, you know, it's like your kids, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Well, you know, because I caught you. Of course you're sorry because you got caught red-handed. And even though there should be remorse, we should feel remorse for what we've done because we've hurt, hurt God or our relationship with God. Repentance is a change of mind. That I used to think one way and now I've changed my mind to think another way. It's not merely feeling sorry for something that I've done. It's a change of mind that changes our direction. David Bob says this, humility asks us to acknowledge our imperfections. It requires that we admit when we are wrong and then change course. See, how many of us know when we battle with the same thing over and over again, 
We might feel sorry and then we end up doing it again, right? Have you ever done that? Like you're like, I know this is wrong, but then I just keep going back to the same thing that I know is wrong and I'm struggling with this. See, when we repent, we say, God, I need to have a change of mind here that I know this is hurting my relationship with you. So here's what I would tell you if you're struggling with some habitual things that you know are wrong. Listen, it's one thing to struggle. It's a totally another thing when I completely give myself over to that thing. And, and, and we, how many of us know we're all going to struggle with, with temptation the rest of our lives? We are. It's acknowledging, the, it's acknowledging that struggle. But if I habitually give into that thing, that's a huge problem. So here's, here's what I would tell you. Do whatever you need to do to change the circumstances that you're in that's causing you to fall into that temptation. You, you just, you, you have to get radical. The, the knife has to be sharp. If I'm going into surgery, I don't want a surgeon coming in with a butter knife. Just hacking away, right? I want that knife to be sharp. I want it to be one cut. I don't want him coming in with a chainsaw. It's going to make a mess. I don't want him coming in with a butter knife. I want him coming in with a beautifully sharpened scalpel. Is that scalpel? Is that right? Medical people? Okay, good. Right? Listen, when we deal with sin, we've got to come in with a sharp scalpel. And we've got to say, God, you need to do the surgery in my heart. And what do I need to do to change? How do I change my mind so that it changes my course? That doesn't mean you're never going to struggle with that thing. But that, doesn't, that thing doesn't have to dominate you. Amen? So it's a heart that is open to repentance. It's, it's God, pray this way too. Pray, God, just open my heart up to the things that I don't see. And, and, and God, open my heart up to other people when they speak something into my life. Because the person that's most blind is you. Because we're always going to see ourselves in a better light. And then somebody else may say something, and if you're getting defensive right away, like, oh, that's not me, how dare you, right? There's something wrong. So whether it's your spouse or a close friend, if they see an attitude issue, listen. If they really love you and want, and want to speak into your life, let, them, let that close friend or that spouse speak into your life because they love you and they care about you. And be open to that so that repentance can flow and your relationship with God can be restored. So it, it, someone that walks in humility is open to that repentance, is daily repenting. And saying, God, just, it's, and it's not beating yourself up. That's not repentance. Because how many know that God restores? Isn't that wonderful? He restores us and puts us on a new path. So there's hope in repentance, not putting you deeper and deeper into a dark hole. They also are grateful. Those that walk in humility are grateful. They're, they're, they give thanks to God for what he has done and it stops us from receiving the credit, right? When we're thankful for what God has done and we are grateful, it stops us saying, I did it, you know, this was me. Um, they recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. They forgive quickly because they understand how much they have been forgiven. I, don't, I, I didn't deserve to have my sins forgiven, yet we can find grace and mercy that we didn't merit through Christ. See, that's a humble person when they recognize that they, they're not the source of their goodness, but God is through his son, Jesus Christ. That humbles me. That allows me to offer forgiveness when forgiveness is, is, seems like it should never be offered. But through Christ Jesus, because he forgave us, and God demonstrates his love towards us that while we're still sinners, Jesus died for us. They recognize 
the gratefulness of God and the grace of God that was bestowed upon their life. Someone that walks in humility, they're teachable. They're teachable. How many of you know you never stop learning? I always say it. The biggest room in every house is what? The room for improvement, right? It's the biggest room in every house, right? So they're teachable. There's something we can always learn. A teachable person is always asking, what can I learn from this passage? Listen, we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God, which is important that we know the Word of God, but it also we have to apply the Word of God. It has to be applicable to our lives. Am I applying the Word of God? Am I asking God when I'm reading His Word, God, what are you teaching me? Not Don't read the Word and say, boy, my spouse needs to hear this, right? Or my friend needs to hear this, and would you please read this passage because the Lord really laid you on my heart. And you really need to repent of this. So God lays on my heart. So would you please read this? Because you really, really need this. You just do, okay? Because we, you know, that's not the the point. Is what is God saying to me? You know, I, and I say this all the time. When you hear a message, you're like, man, I wish so and so was here. I'm going to go right home and say, go online, go on Facebook, and watch this message because you really need to hear this, right? No, you need to hear this. I need to hear this. Amen. We all need to hear because it, it is God's word. So, a, a humble person is a teachable person. It listens to hear what God... And you can't, you can't be teachable if you're not a student. If you're not sitting under the authority of God's word and allowing it to correct you and to shape you and to mold you. That's why it's so important that we're students of God's word because there's always something we can learn. Have you ever read God's word? And you're like, I never knew that. That's great. I need to hear that. Or God just speaks to your heart when you're reading God's word in an area of your life. We have to be students of God's word. A humble person that seeks humility is always willing to serve. Is always willing to serve. It was interesting that during the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples are reclined, are reclined around the table. They're, 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 uh, Jesus is preparing himself to go to the cross and he's speaking to the disciples about his blood and this covenant that he's going to make with the Father, that will establish us with the Father through his, through his preciously shed blood for you and I. That his body is going to be given to us. And so Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, and all of a sudden, during the Last Supper, there, an argument breaks out about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus is like, duh, what? you guys aren't getting this. And Jesus uses the Last Supper to speak on humility. And what's interesting about the Last Supper is who was sitting by Jesus' side. Now, we see in John 13 that we know Peter was right there whispering in Jesus' ears. Because Jesus says, the person that I dip this bread in this cup to and I hand it to is the one that's going to be betraying me. So Peter's like, who's going to betray Hey, Jesus, who's going to betray you? Now, remember, when you're seated at the table, you're very close to one another. So Peter and Jesus could have easily had this conversation and G- Peter could have easily whispered in Jesus' ear without, a, without anybody else listening. But there's someone else that was really close to Jesus. It was Judas. Isn't it interesting who was sitting by Jesus? Here Judas takes that seat of honor. And we know that because when Jesus dipped the bread and he handed it right to Judas. Now that went right over the disciples' heads. They're like, they didn't get it. I mean, here Jesus dips it in. He tells them what he's going to do. Because Judas was so much, at that point, like the other disciples, they didn't even realize it. 
But Jesus knew his heart. And when you would dip the bread into the cup, what it was a sign of, it was this sign of, of, of reconciliation. Jesus was offering his grace to Judas by giving him that as a sign of, of reconciliation, a sign of, a sign of friendship. And what does Jesus do? He takes it, he eats it, and at that moment the word of God says, he was filled, filled with the, the spirit of Satan and he was going to do what he had to do. You see, and then all of a sudden this, this argument breaks out about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And so what Jesus does is, in Luke 22, verses 26 and 27, listen to what Jesus says about what's important about the kingdom of heaven and why being a servant is the most important thing and why not trying to have the greatest seat the seat of honor, why that's not our ambition. And so Jesus says this, verse 26. He says, listen, there are those that are going to exercise authority over you, but in verse 26 he says, but you are not like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater than the one, for the one is at the table or the one whom you serve? It's not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. I am the one. Look at me. I am the one that's serving you. Guess who washed the disciples' feet when they came in to the Last Supper, to that meal? Was it a servant? It was. It was Jesus. He was a servant. And so this discussion breaks out of who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus says, you know who the greatest is? It's not the ones who are sitting right next to me because we know Peter is going to deny him not much longer after that. that. Don't seek that. It's not who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. It's the one who serves. I'm, I'm, always, um, I'm always reminded of my, uh, my grandma, Gerace. She um, married to my grandpa, Gerace. He was 100% Sicilian. She didn't have a drop of Italian blood in her. She was 100% English, but she could cook like an Italian. She made the best sauce. She just made a good, good sauce. The funny thing, my grandfather wasn't really into Italian food, but, but she could cook it, right? He was just a meat and potatoes kind of guy. I think because he grew up on it, he goes, I just like meat and potatoes. And one thing I always remember about my, um, about my grandma, Grace is that she would always be the last one at the table. She would be so busy serving us and we'd say, Grandma, come sit, come sit. And she, she'd have her apron on. And she goes, no, 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 i got one more thing to do. Is everybody okay? What do you need? What do you need? The minute I'd walk into the house, she'd say, what do you want to eat? I'd go, Grandma, I just ate. No, no, you need your skin and bones. What do you want? What do you want? i got some fresh bread. i got some cheese. i got some ham. What do you want? I'll fix you something. Constantly, constantly serving. And that's the one thing I remember about my grandma. She was always the last one at the table. Are you the last one at the table? See, Jesus says, instead of walking into that banquet and trying to be the first one to get seated next to that place of honor, is your heart the one that is looking to serve instead of being served? You see, that's what Jesus came to. He came into this world to serve us and not be served. See, when we walk in humility, we have that servant's heart. We realize that we gave up our rights at the foot of the cross. And so what Jesus is telling his disciples, this is the kingdom of God. This is the heart of the gospel. That you give your life up for me not to be in charge, 
not to be number one, but to serve. You see, a servant says this. A servant says, what can I do to make your life in Christ better? What can I do to help you? Isn't it amazing when someone just comes up to you and says, how can I help you? With no strings attached. Listen, we all have our preferences. We all want things done a certain way. But isn't it wonderful when we can just say, what can I do to help you to make your life stronger in Christ? How can I pray for you? You see, what Jesus did for this man, when he came into that supper, the, the Pharisees were using him as a pawn. But Jesus saw him as someone that needed to be served and someone that needed to be healed. See, when we walk in humility, we walk in with the servant's heart, what we're asking is, God, how can you use me to serve others to make their lives better in you? See, if we can get that as a church and constantly remind ourselves of that, Jesus will be glorified in our midst. He will always be glorified in our midst. When we're looking to serve others, when we encourage others, when we give them the credit, when we help them in their walk with the Lord to make them stronger in their walk with the Lord. This is what Jesus is looking at. The disciples are just worried about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus says, no, the greatest is the one that serves. Didn't you just see it? I just, I just washed all your feet, including Judas, who I know is going to betray me. But he still washed his feet. Because Jesus walked in humility. And, he, and his example was humility. He gave up everything for you and I as he went to the cross because of humility. He didn't choose his way. He said, Father God, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus chose humility. See, listen, can I be honest with you this morning? If we were to boil down all our issues and our problems, whether it's marital or just relational issues or whatever it is, isn't, it, isn't a lot, I'm not saying all of it is, but isn't a lot of it is I'm just not getting my way. Can we just... Amen. Isn't it really, it's like you're not seeing it my way or I think it's this best way. And, and it, you know, there are obviously things we need to call out that are obviously wrong and we need to call those out, uh, whether it's in relationships or work relationships, whatever there is. But there's so many things that are just preferential that I'm just not getting my way and I want my way and I'm going to make it difficult, right? It's so much of that. And Jesus says, it's not about getting your way. It's about how do we serve? How do we serve? Are you the last one at the table? Boy, do I need to hear that. And here's the last thing. They're not wise in their own eyes. People that walk in humility are not, are not wise in their own eyes. It, it's just like what C.S. Lewis said. It's not thinking too much of myself. It, 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 it's, it's recognizing that God is the source of our blessings. There was a question that was posed to a biblical scholar, Carl Henry, on how to stay humble. So how do I, how do I stay humble? Well, many people would try to stay humble by, you know, denying themselves of all these things. And, you know, if I just keep telling myself I'm no good, I'm no good. And that, that's, not, that's not the point. Aren't you glad that Jesus did all that for us? He suffered for us. But here's what Carl Henry says. I love this. He goes, how can anyone be arrogant when he stands beside the cross? When he stands beside the cross. So here it is. When we, when we take communion, what we're doing is we're recognizing what Jesus did for us. So the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he said, listen, when you take communion, 
inspect your own heart. Examine your own heart. If there's anything that's wayward in your heart, give that to the Lord. Don't read condemnation on yourself by taking communion in a haphazard way. Remember what Jesus did. This is why I love taking communion because Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, of the great penalty that I, I gave to you by giving my life for your sin. He who was sinless, taking on our sins so that we could find forgiveness. This is why we take communion. And we, we can't walk in pride just as, as Carl Henry says, if, if we're standing next to the, the cross, it should humble us to realize that without Jesus, there's no way we could find forgiveness. So as we take communion this morning, if there's anything in my heart, listen, listen. We should be, as followers of Christ, the ones that should first walk in forgiveness, the ones who admit when we are wrong. I believe that when there is, you know, so many times we say, if, if we have aught with a brother, maybe we offended somebody. Many times we'll say like, well, can I just go to the Lord and just say, God, just forgive me for this. Is that enough? Is that enough? Is that good? Are we good, God? Guess what? God says, no. He says, go to that person and ask for forgiveness. See, when something public is done, Something public should be done in forgiveness and asking for forgiveness. That's walking in humility. If I've offended someone, I should be the one saying, will you forgive me? I'm sorry I offended you or whatever I did that was wrong. We do that. It's, it's the other person's choice what they do with it, but, but our job is to walk in that humility, whoever that might be, whatever that relationship might be. When we stand next to the cross, what we say to ourselves is, I die to myself and my desires and my will, and I ask you, Christ, to live in my heart and my life. So as we take communion today, I, I want you to think about what Christ has done for you. I want us to look for opportunities as followers of Christ to always serve each other, to speak the truth and love to each other, to allow Christ to be in our midst, and I believe when we serve each other, it, it glorifies the Lord. It always does. And so if you have awe with somebody, if there's a strained relationship, be that one that changes that relationship by asking for forgiveness or giving forgiveness. And allow God to work in our hearts and our lives. Amen? So as we, as we go to the table today, I want us just to take just, just some time just to reflect on our hearts and just asking the Lord, God, when I wake up tomorrow, this week, whatever it may be, give me those opportunities to serve you. Give me that opportunity to be the last at the table, to look for ways to always serve. And I believe when we do that, when that's in our forefront, um, the forefront of our mind, um, Christ is glorified in our midst. I know that's an area of my life that I know the Lord's just been working me over <laughs> All the time. I don't know about you. I'm just confessing just us here this morning, everybody that's watching online. Um, it's selfishness. I'm just a selfish person at times. Amen? Am I the only one at times? Okay. We struggle with it, don't we? And um, that's where the humility of Christ and always looking to him as our example, what he does, he humbles us. And boy, there's joy that comes with serving. There just is. It's so much better. And God gives us that joy. He blesses us because we're doing his will. 
So Father God, as we come to your table today, as we, as we take communion today, we need your help, God. Uh, Lord, there's so many things in this world that can just set us off, that can irritate us, people that say the wrong things or do the wrong things. God, I pray that we would consistently come back to the cross and see what you did for us. Allow that to humble us. Allow us to walk in these things, Lord, to realize that you're the one that set the example. The very thing you said to your disciples before you went to the cross is that the greatest in the kingdom is the least. It's the one who looks to serve. It's the one who's last to the table, not, to, not the first. So Lord, just help us in those areas as we follow you. And we thank you for the joy that comes with serving you and the happiness that comes with serving you because we're doing your will. So as we take communion today, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us and speak to our hearts. We thank you for what you've done for us. We love you, we praise you, and we ask this in Jesus' name.